Grace to you and peace from our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So today um, is the conclusion of a couple of things here at Connect, as we've already talked about a couple of times. Uh, it's our first or last last uh, service here in the gym. Uh, we're starting out in the Church Grove uh, next week throughout the summer. Uh, today also marks the conclusion of our Mysteries of the Faith sermon series. Um, in week one, we talked about these mysteries we call the sacraments, how God comes to us in tangible ways and mysterious ways uh, through baptism and Holy Communion. Uh, In week two, we talked about the ascension of Jesus and his promised return, and we beheld the mystery of our coming resurrection. Uh, Last week on Pentecost, we talked about the coming of God's gift of the Spirit. And today on Trinity Sunday, as we conclude our our series, uh, we conclude with with maybe the most mind-boggling mystery of all, the Trinity um, as we do that, let me start off by, by giving you kind of a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, if you leave here today thinking something to the effect of, wow, Pastor Adams just really explained the Trinity to me in a way that I never heard it before, and now, you know, I completely understand it. Um, if that's the case, then you haven't understood me, <laughs> because the Trinity um, is the greatest mystery of our faith, and one that, that we can never fully comprehend, and that's the way it should be. We mentioned a few weeks ago at the start of this series that if we ever get to the point uh, where we fully understand who God is, then it's no longer God that we're dealing with. It's something that we've made up and just called God. Uh, We also mentioned a few weeks ago how if you try to explain the sacraments completely, uh, you inevitably end up over-explaining them and explaining them away. And the same is true with the mystery of the Trinity. So there are certain things that we can and should say about God as Trinity, uh, but there are only so many of those things. And if we're not very careful, we can start to tread on some pretty dangerous ground. So we're going to look to avoid doing that today. So as, as we kind of approach this task, what can we say about the Trinity? Today we're going to limit ourselves to, to three basic scriptural truths, and they're listed in your sermon outline. So I'd invite you to, to turn to that, and, and we'll get going. Uh, by the way, just a quick reminder, um, there's a sermon outline on the one side. That's for you to take notes today, kind of follow along, see, you know, is he almost done or not, or, oh, got seven more blanks or whatever. And on the other side is the, uh, the stuff that I put together and spent a little bit of time on that, that I'm hoping you'll be able to take home with you and uh, really kind of dive into this a little bit more. So there's just a ton of scripture passages um, on the Trinity that that has to do with how God has interacted with us as Trinity in one way or another. So I'd encourage you to take that home and um, kind of continue the task that that we're starting here today. Uh, But as we we spend a little bit of time together today, the first thing that we're going to talk about, and as I said, these are pretty basic things. Um, God is... Three. The triune God is three. Now, God has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it has been that way from the very beginning, literally. Uh, so our lesson from Genesis today reminded us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
In the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, we confess that, that God is the Father Almighty, the, the maker, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so here in Genesis, we're reminded that God created the heavens and the earth. But I hope you noticed in our Genesis reading that God was not alone. Well, as see, here's why you have to be careful. God the Father was not alone in creating the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, we heard that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, so far, just two verses into the narrative, we already have two distinct characters, if you will. In verse 1, we have God, and in verse 2, we have the Spirit, or the Spirit of God. But what about the Son? Well, he shows up in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Did you see him? No, you didn't, but you heard him. Now, here's what I mean by that. Genesis 1 starts out by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1 starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So how did God create? If you look at Genesis, God created with a Word, with the Word, with God's Son, John elaborates for us. And then John says this, All things were made through him, that is, through the Son of God. And without him was not anything made that was made. That's pretty profound. And even more so when you realize that that includes you and me. In fact, that you and I are the crown of God's creation. In verse 26 of Genesis, as God created us human beings, he did so by referring to himself in the plural. Did you notice that? In verse 26 of Genesis 1, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So in the beginning, the triune God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Trinity. We see this truth play out then in in the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Uh, From the Aaronic benediction, where God invites us to to speak his name and to hear it three times in blessing, uh, to Isaiah's vision of God and the angels in heaven, as the angels proclaim God holy and holy and holy, to the various theophanies or appearances of God throughout the Old Testament, like when he appears in the form of three men to Abraham in Genesis 18, Or when the angel of the Lord, believed by Christians throughout the ages to be the pre-incarnate Son of God, shows up to rescue God's people time and again. The triune God is three, and he always has been. But, as we say that, here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God is like water. that can be found in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. Such an understanding of God makes his identity as Trinity counterfeit. It basically says, well, sure, God is three, but he's, he's not really three. The three persons of the Trinity cannot re- be reduced to three masks that are worn by one divine being, three different modes by which he appears to us. Okay, let me just take a moment to comment. I wasn't sure what the reaction would be. If you don't recognize these guys at all, then uh, go... Maybe write this down in your sermon notes. Go and search on YouTube for St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. 
And uh, that's all I'll say. If you have seen that video, kind of an inside yeah, reference for you. Um, but yes, yeah, oftentimes the Trinity is described as water or as, as one God wearing kind of three masks coming to us in different forms or different modes. Uh, but that is not how God reveals himself to us. The three persons of the Trinity are exactly that, persons, not disguises. The fact that the triune God is three also doesn't mean that God is like an apple, as one famous book says, with the Father being the skin and the Son being the flesh and the Spirit being the core. It doesn't mean that God is like a three-leaf clover where each person of the Trinity is part of the whole. Now, listen carefully to this. As much as it confounds our reason entirely, each person of the Trinity is entirely God. Let me say that again. Even though it confounds our reason entirely, each person of the Trinity is entirely God. The Godhead, though three, cannot be split up into three parts. Martin Luther said, each person is the very God and God in his entirety. And if that makes no sense to you at all, then you're doing it right. (laughs) The triune God is three, but not in a way we can even begin to understand it. And to add to that great mystery is the second point in our sermon outline that, that you deduced from the very beginning, I'm sure. The triune God is three, and the triune God is one. Though the clear teaching of Scripture from the very beginning is that God is three, the clear teaching of Scripture from the very beginning is also that God is one. In fact, this very saying that God is one uh, became the creed of God's people very early on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, a saying known as the Shema, a saying that is so important to the history of Israel that it's really kind of the one Hebrew verse that I actually know pretty well. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? The Lord is one. This bold proclamation about the only true God has echoed down to us throughout the ages, and we would also do well to have it on our lips and in our hearts with regularity. But this verse has also been used by those Uh, who practice the Jewish faith in particular, but also others, uh, those who reject Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, as proof that God is one and therefore God cannot be three. And we have to admit that if God and his nature were confined to our human logic, this proof would be incontrovertible. But God is no more limited to human reason than Kevin Durant would be limited if I were guarding him for the Cavaliers. Furthermore, As Luther says, I believe God more than my own thoughts and reason, and do not worry about how it can possibly be true that there is only one essence, and yet there are three distinct persons in this one essence. So the question we should be asking ourselves is not, is this possible, but rather, is this true? And it is true if God says it's true. Is God three? Absolutely. Is God one? Absolutely. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe this wholeheartedly. And so did the Apostle Paul. Here's what he had to say about it. 
For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. God is three, and God is one. In the mysterious divine arithmetic, three is one, and one is three. Just as we are at the very same time, saints and sinners. Just as in the sacrament that we celebrate today, we receive bread and wine and the true body and blood of Jesus. Mysteries of the faith is perhaps too tame a title for a series addressing such truths of God, for as we encounter these things, we encounter nothing short of paradox. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the only God that there is. This is the only God that is to be worshipped. And this only God happens to be triune. And in his trinity and in his unity, God himself is the greatest example of unity and community that there is. God himself is community. God himself is intimacy. The beauty of our faith is that this God would stop at nothing to have intimacy and community with us, to create us, to redeem us, to sanctify us. God eagerly desires to make us one with him, and that shouldn't surprise us, because God himself is one. But here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God is like the sun, where the Father is like the star itself, and the sun is like the light issuing from the star, and the Spirit is like the warmth that comes from that light. The Son of God and the Holy Spirit are of the same substance as the Father. They are not created by the Father, nor are they mere emanations from the Father. As we confessed together earlier, in this trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or lesser than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, the trinity in unity and the unity in trinity is to be worshipped. And and this isn't some fine theological point that's important kind of once you reach a certain stage of life or something like that. This This is a vital truth that we have to hang on to because if we lose it, we lose everything. And here's an example. Now, perhaps you've never thought of it this way before, but many false religions are nothing more than Trinitarian heresies. So, for example, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, and and, in a different way, Mormonism. Each of these recognize and even seek to defend the singularity and the oneness of God, which is a good intent, a good thing at the start. But in doing so, they deny the divinity of Jesus. Therefore, in their firm monotheism, their belief in only one God, These false religions ironically deny the one true God and nothing could be more eternally perilous because it is only in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that salvation is to be found. And so this is really why our our last point is so important. The triune God is ascending 
God. It is so important because without God's sending, we would not be able to have anything to do with him. And it is important to talk about that today because God's sending has everything to do with God's triune nature. You see, we now have communion with the one true God, completely unearned, completely undeserved on our part. First and foremost, because the Father sent the Son. Deuteronomy 6.4 begins with the words, Hear, O Israel. Well, in our reading today from Acts, as we continue Peter's Pentecost sermon, Peter said, Men of Israel, hear. Jesus of Nazareth was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The Father sent the Son to take on human flesh. The Father sent the Son to die for you. And then the Father, as Peter says, raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then victorious forever and and always and forever eternally free from corruption, the Son sent the Spirit. As Jesus promised beforehand, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This is what our focus was last week as uh, we celebrated Pentecost, how the mystery of the Spirit who came on that Pentecost Sunday rained down on all of his people. Well, later in our reading from Acts, uh, Peter mentions all three persons of the Trinity when he's talking about what's happening there. Um, And he says this, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, that is Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The Son sent the Spirit to you, the Lord and the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son who has given you eternal life through the gift of faith. And so now, saved by the Father's sending of the Son, enlightened and empowered by the Son's sending of the Spirit, we have a job to do. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, and now the triune God sends us. Jesus told his disciples at the end of John, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Right after Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit in John 15, the verse we read just a couple minutes ago, the very next verse, Jesus says this, And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit bears witness about Jesus, and Jesus says, so do you. In our very familiar gospel reading from today, words that that Al had us all read together, Jesus said to his disciples and to us, let's read this together again, Go therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Very good. You got that last word, even though it was hidden. Sometimes God is a little hidden from us, but we know he's there. The triune God is three, and the triune God is one. And that triune God has sent you to bring others into communion with him. A professor of mine at the seminary liked to say, that the Holy Spirit has no vocal cords of his own, so he borrows yours. Use them to speak to others the truth about God, that he is three and yet one, that he has loved us by creating us and redeeming us and sanctifying us, that the Father sent the Son to take your sins and destroy them on the cross, 
that the Son sent the Spirit to make you a temple where God himself dwells. So as our services in, in the gym here come to an end for the, for the summer, along with this series, uh, God's mysterious work continues. This mission that God has sent you on goes on. And so as we close today, um, I thought it would be appropriate to share with you these words of encouragement from Ephesians 3 that, that also mention all three persons of the Trinity and, and are really words that Paul gave to the Ephesians that I want to pass along to you uh, to encourage you as the triune God has sent you on his behalf. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. And when you join, will you join me in this final blessing? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.